Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. Uh, welcome back. Yes, welcome. This no one knows we're recording. This is a secret, secret yeah. recording. Yeah, don't. Tell it me. might not even work. We might just throw it away. Maybe no one will ever hear it. Uh, I think it should be good. Yeah. Um, so to tell you, you listeners a little bit, we we stopped a little bit because I've started to feel very self conscious about having an opinion on all the grand issues of the world. Um, <laughs> that's really what it was. It's like, why do I... I mean, it's pretty, pretty heavy stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and then uh, <laughs> it's... And so my, my argument was like, there's too much opinion in the world to begin with. But <clears> then I thought uh, movie reviews are kind of interesting. And then it's an, mm-hmm. an opinion, hopefully a not uh, a topic with consequences the same way if you yeah so I, I get annoyed with myself when I have opinions on things that I didn't don't think through and they actually have a lot of consequences for a lot of people and movies is a weird fantasy world so that yeah that's that's why I yeah yeah I mean, I mean the opposite side of the spectrum uh, I have a lot of opinions about stuff I have no idea <laughs> And I, I think, uh, yeah, so we should say to people, we, you know, we're trying this idea out um, that, hey, is it possible to review a movie <laughs> and um, will that resolve the world's problems? Is that the... <laughs> <laughs> no, the opposite. We're not going to try and solve anything. We're just going to review great content. Is that yeah, it? Yeah, and from, from the point of view <laughs> of an artist. So... Um... Oh, yeah. Hopefully, because there are a lot of movie review podcasts and uh, uh, podcasts that review series as they go. So each episode, they'll review the next episode of the series. And it, it, it's a whole yeah, cosmos I mean, of uh, movie review and, and entertainment review. I mean, when you think about it, though, right? Like Rotten Tomatoes, they have no competition, right? And then, and then people are complaining. They're saying it's a mafia, a review mafia. Corrupt. And so, in a way, just having an opinion about movies uh, is helping the world <laughs> through, <laughs> through d- diversity of opinion, especially from artists. Um, now, you, I think, are going to be more qualified at this. I just want to stay at the at the beginning. I took a one film one hundred and one class, and I have a degree in video art. Um, but I have, yeah, that would I wouldn't say I'm a cinef. I don't know. I, I wouldn't say I'm a cinephile, though. Like when it comes to, I can't remember actors' names or directors. So yeah, but I, I, I feel I think like this movie is is not that we are both uh, highly educated, well-read film critics. It's that we see movies in, in our own way. So I would say that's mm-hmm. why. Yeah, like my number one test of a movie is: did I fall asleep or not? Yeah, yeah, things like that. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, uh, yeah, exactly. If there was a star system for maybe like five snores, one less snores you, is better. Do you often fall Zero asleep? Zero snores would be movies? a top score. I have fallen asleep in both the theatrical release of a film and at home it's very frequent. Yeah. And it'll even be during like the climax of a film such that, you know, if I'm with Kristen, she's like, how did you fall asleep? Yeah, it's too comfortable. During that movie. Exactly. Well, it's like no one's asking anything of me. It's just pure... You know, like, yeah, you know, if you miss this, there's no no consequence. It, it, it was about five years ago that I really thought, okay, cinema is really over. Like, everything has been consolidated. There's one company just running entertainment, and there's no uh, no mm-hmm. way to make a, an unexpected movie. It's just formulaic. Uh, like, 
you can have McDonald's or Burger King, and that's it. And then um, I started going to the movies again a lot and enjoying it. And uh, I, I would say um, I have more time, more free time than most people, so that's why I see a lot of movies. And yeah, yeah. And, and don't you live like, or didn't you? Your old place was like there was a theater just down the street. Yeah, I actually right? live so closer to it now. And Metrograph, and then there's a, a big mainstream movie theater with the brand new with those reclining seats. I don't know if you have those in Toronto. Reclining, uh, like a, yeah. a a pretty wide leather chair, and then there's a button, and it almost turns into a bed. Like a VIP, we have like VIP seats no, that do I, that. I think what happened, what I heard was, uh, they the business model used to be put as many viewers in the theater as possible so you get the most money and now they just keep raising the ticket prices so that it's more we're not going to have that many people so let's squeeze as many dollars out of them as possible uh, that makes sense because i've been to the theater a few times and if it's not opening weekend it's like just me and Kristen in the theater for like a major release. well it, it's it's so funny because it, it's definitely a dying thing going to the theater and so i am the weird guy who goes by himself on a tuesday afternoon and this mm-hmm. is a theater that opened maybe three months ago. And I think it felt like I was visiting uh, something after a zombie apocalypse and the, the person greeting me was so happy to see a human being. And he's like, oh, welcome. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm so happy you're here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, one thing, we, we have an art house cinema in our neighborhood and then we have like a mainstream cinema. And, the, you know, some of the best films are at the art house cinema. But just because it is designated an art house cinema, there's fewer people there at the get go. You know, from the get go, like which is wonderful. I feel like they could show the same movies and there'd be fewer yeah. people there. And then the sound system's way better, and the the image quality is better. Like everything's, you know, but perfect. What's better than um, going to things that are empty? Well, yeah, you're probably right, and and they're subsidized, I think, to a certain extent by the government. Again. Yeah, <laughs> so it's even better. Yeah. it's like a private private living. Yeah, that's probably experience. similar I in think, the Netherlands, yeah. all the indie theaters, and the, they have a sort of. You remember Movie Pass? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if we talked about that on the podcast, but Movie Pass was a startup uh, from an ex Netflix employee who thought of this idea like a fixed price per month I, I can't remember something like twelve dollars a month and you can see all the movies you want uh, and everybody's yeah, like that's like impossible months. it doesn't work it's socialism and that movie pass has existed for 10 years in the netherlands it's it's called cinephile it's like this pass and you can go to all the indie movie theaters for a flat price uh, mm. every day if you want and but it's only dutch films yeah no 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 but nobody nobody in the <laughs> netherlands is, is like people are going to take advantage of this system and it's not going to work. It's like, no, we do something together and it's fine. Mm. But what, I mean, MoviePass failed, uh, failed completely, yeah, right? But it for was for reason. me just uh, emblematic of the U.S. that if you introduce a communal system, then what happened mm. was people would go to five movies a day or it, it was a, basically a virtual credit card, a physical credit card, and you had to pay for the ticket, but you could also buy popcorn and it was hard for them to keep track. So people would just go to the theater and buy everything at the concession stand and just just really abuse the benefits and yeah hmm. and it still somehow exists no it doesn't <laughs> only in the netherlands oh it doesn't it's gone yeah no no oh, you're it, talking about it, movie in the u.s it was the abuse in the netherlands somehow it works i don't know maybe yeah. because it's subsidized well, yeah, so somehow we're going to get to the... So the idea here is that we're going to actually review specific films. Yeah. And we're going to try this. Yeah, and so... 
And, we have two you know, movies on the list, but depending on uh, how long it takes, uh, we can decide if we review one movie today or two. Mm-hmm. And how do we choose these films? We are looking for the most offensive films possible that no one wants to watch. <laughs> I'm just kidding. What, what was our? How did we? What was our selection criteria? I can't well, recall. I, um, I was excited about Uncut Gems. I'd just seen it, so I suggested that, and then it came out on Netflix now. But it, it was released in theaters first, so that one was kind of of the moment. It's a recent movie, and everyone yeah. can watch it on Netflix. And the other movie is Mandy with Nicolas Cage, and it came out two years ago, I think. And um, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, it somehow fit the color scheme and art direction, and uh, but it's a very different movie. Oh, so you knew it's a very different movie. Did you know that when you suggested it? I feel like you suggested it separately, just as a as a Some, film that sometimes, we should watch. Jeremy, the the soul is quicker than the mind. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I watched both of these films. Now I watched them at home, and you watched them in the yeah. Theater, that's something right? I wanted to talk about in general. That uh, I, I've subscribed to the Criterion channel through the years a bunch of times, almost like when you get a gym membership and you're like, I should watch good content. Uh, this, You know what I mean? Like, it, I don't want to binge, yeah. binge watch crap. Yeah. I, I should watch uh, uh, Ingmar Bergman movies. And then you try to do that at yeah. home. and it's You want to be cultured. And it, it's not that the screen at home is smaller than in the theater. I don't think that's the issue. It's just like... You can get up at every second if you have to go to the bathroom or you want some potato chips or you look at your phone. And these movies are made in a different era when there wasn't as much distraction and you're stuck in a chair in a theater. So they could play with long silences and moments mm-hmm. of rest and, and uh, awkwardness. And it's very hard to be home and just say, I'm really going to sit for two hours. You know what I find funny about that is um, it was like you were describing video art there for yeah, yeah. <laughs> contemporary well, that's video why art. Also, the, I which, chose uh, these two movies because they they both mm-hmm. uh, play a lot with the the limits of of image making and color and and rhythm in a way mm-hmm, the video mm-hmm. art also does. So. Yeah, I think um, you know I was telling you uh, outside of the, this recording that like sometimes I will go to a film just for the art direction or the director knowing that I've pretty much like consumed all, and this is going to sound really boastful, but you get to a certain age. And like you said about Hollywood cinema, you've kind of seen every story. In fact, you've probably seen it you know, yeah. three or four times. Yeah. And so the you're like, Oh, journey. here we go again. It's like, yeah, hero's journey. Yeah. yeah here we go. Um, yeah. It's always like, you're yeah. the one I can't do it. I'm not the one. <laughs> yes, you are. Just believe in yourself. Yeah. 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 It's like Pixar also standardized the format for all movies. Uh, and, you know, add a couple stereotypes in there that are, like, mildly offensive. Yeah. And there you and go. So You've got, like, a blockbuster. In, as far as stories, the link in both these movies is that they are sort of a stereotypical story, but they go further than you're used to. So you're like, oh, no, not Oh, no. And it keeps getting worse. And you're, you're like, no, it can't get crazier than that. Okay, so let's set it up. So Uncut Gems... Now, do you even know, like, do we even know the director's name here? Like, how unprofessional are we? No, I, I, um, (laughs) it's two brothers called the Josh and Benny Safdie. Um, they feel very much like our generation. They feel like people you might know. And I think they uh, went to school in New York, like they went to Columbia or something, because my sister-in-law, I think, went to school with them, actually. 
which I didn't mention to you previously. Oh, okay. But did you watch their last film, yeah, Good Time? Yeah, I, I saw that one at Metrograph, the, the, the cool theater nearby, and it was complete surprise. I just, I, at that time, I was going to one movie a day, um, and I, I would just go in, just walk in and would watch any movie. So I had no idea about the movie, and then I was very struck by the the pace and the blurriness and the... It, it, there was a stream of consciousness element, but there's still a steady story. So um, mm-hmm. I was very impressed. And then I saw another movie about junkies. I can't remember the name of it. There was a movie before that. They made about five movies. So um, And then I was excited to see... They, they've been getting a lot of... I feel like a lot of uh, movie experts or people, friends of mine that work with film or that are directors of photography, mm-hmm. they were all excited about it. And they're like, oh, they're going to work with Scorsese. He's going to produce it. And uh, oh, really? so the, there was a bit of anticipation for this movie. Um, I mean, the last movie I saw, that Good Time movie by them, I'll say it felt like um, a college film that had like been just like it's slightly better, like good enough for a film festival. And I'll, <laughs> like, I'll just state that there are like, you know, when you see some first time films, there's this, you know, you've heard this thing, student film. Yeah. It's not it a looks compliment, like a student right? film. You're right. It's not a compliment, but it's like there's this little bridge that, you know, some people leap over. Some people make the, you know, make it across like a little daredevil stunt. And I think I'm still in the student film thing, just to be yeah, clear. Yeah, you, you mentioned <laughs> like, before that yeah. some teacher of yours said, why would you ever go beyond the sketch? Yeah, so some people never get it beyond the concept. In school, you're just trying to get the concept of the story across, right? Like, you know, and, you know, sometimes in film school, actually, the concept is almost always like a murder robbery or something. <laughs> like, I'm not saying that. I mean, I just think it's a cliche, like alarm, you know, the alarm goes off by the side of the bed. Was it all just a dream? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's good. But anyway, their last film kind of felt that way to me. This, I was excited when I saw the, a Good Time. I, I didn't think of it as like a student plus film or something. Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying aesthetically. So anyway, there's an aesthetic upgrade. I think a lot of what I pay attention to when I'm watching movies is the aesthetic qualities. And I would say Uncut Gems, like we're not, we're going to get into the plot. I don't know if we can do spoilers. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, figure like stop yeah, listening. Yeah, I think and we, should, go. we should warn people and because I want to go in detail about certain scenes. and. Yeah. Okay, yeah, great. So yeah, this is going to be the most in detail review of all time. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's rambling. So you should go watch it and then come back if, you, if you're not ready for that. But maybe to introduce it, anyway. for a lot of people, this is a kind of an unwatchable film. So we might recommend it. But I think um, I, a good yeah. time was stressful. It's like a bank robbery gone wrong. And uh, mm-hmm. they're trying to get their shit together. And they, uh, it's two brothers. One is mentally handicapped. And the other one is a really bad criminal. And they're trying to rob. It just goes from bad to worse. So I was expecting some stress, but the Uncut Gems is one, maybe top five most stressful films I've seen. And so the, my first experience with Uncut Gems, actually, is I was leaving work just after getting back from the holidays. And I, I mentioned to someone, did you, hey, what would you get up to over the holidays? They're like, and sometimes people have, you know, you know, they do the right thing. They relax and they just watch movies and stuff for the holidays instead of working like I do. And um, they're like, yeah, I watched this film. But to be honest with you, it was like really stressful. Yeah. Like 
but I feel really like it was the right, like I, I feel good about watching it, but I've never been more stressed. In yeah, I, I went to the movie <laughs> excited and uh, there's been a few times you follow a director and you're excited about the next movie and you're disappointed. And this movie mm-hmm. I went in and I liked everything about it, but about halfway I'm like, why am I adding stress to my life? This is, why am I sitting down and being tortured? Isn't that what my parent, your parents have always said? My parents have always said that. They're like, I don't want, you know, we don't want to watch a stressful movie whenever we choose a movie to watch together. Which is funny you know? because Adam Sandler is known for the safest choice if you're with a family and you put on Netflix. And what's, what's the movie star? Because he's the highest grossing actor on the Netflix. He just made a deal for four more movies. Um, oh no! Yeah, so he's known for making <laughs> the worst ma- making uh, sort of feel good, uh, funny, uh, very lowbrow movies. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, the Zohan movie and uh, the one with the donkeys and uh, I don't know. Just, but supposedly around the world, it, he's, he's cross cultural. Like it, it, it works in every continent, and everyone just loves Adam Sandler movies. Which, I mean, there's two great Adam Sandler which movies. Which is ironic or, or because, one, because then this yeah. is going to be released on Netflix and everyone will be, be like Christmas morning. It's like, oh, what movie should we watch with the family? Oh, Adam Sandler. And Ironically, though, I think, have you seen Punch Drunk yeah. Love? I think that's like his best film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and aesthetically, it's beautiful. Yeah. But um he seems to be better as a not not a, 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 like a, not as a comedian. Yeah, like, it's weird. Huh? He made the wrong choice. Well, it's a bit like Bill Murray <laughs> that he, he started with yeah. the screwball comedies and then moved to more, yeah, melancholy. Yeah, or something like yeah. that. Okay, so in this movie, the premise is, uh, I mean, the premise is pretty basic, which is like it, uh, like there's not a specific. Uh, like narrative arc, well, the, except this guy is in trouble from the first. Yeah, second. but the, and I think the movie was written with Adam Sandler in mind, so they thought of like a sleazy uh, Jewish diamond dealer from New York who is trying to be a hotshot and trying to make it, but he's also too messed up and makes all the bad choices. And can I say something insulting? Like. Kristen and I were watching it, and we were like, this is why I would never live yeah, in New York. Yeah, that's very much true. <laughs> so that's, that's one angle of the movie. It's this, this feeling that you'll never make it. You always have this feeling like, oh, that'll get my next break. And then... But also just like kind of his like pervy like um, look, like his overall like, like goatee yeah. and like just his, like the glasses he wore, the silk shirt unbuttoned. Yeah, yeah, I had a landlord it, it's like a type that. Of, it's, it's, it's a type of New York that we I, I, I had a landlord who looked exactly like him, and it's I don't recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> and it, seemingly it could only exist in New York. Maybe Miami too, but... Well, um, yeah, anyway. maybe we just laid down the plot very quickly. Um, yeah, yeah, go for it. So he's a, a, a diamond seller. He has a jewelry shop, and, and uh, rappers and athletes go there, and they get those crazy change with too many diamonds and animatronics and uh, and he finds a diamond uh, somewhere in Ethiopia because he's been following this rare mine in Ethiopia and it's shipped to him they ship it in a dead fish so but it's not a diamond it's, it's an, an opal, opal right? yeah but it's a huge stone an uncut gem and then a basketball player comes in Kevin yeah, Garnett and it's the actual basketball Celtics, player playing yeah. himself he's actually a pretty good mm-hmm. actor um yeah. He's mesmerized and he starts doing his selling thing and he, he sells the, the dream. And the, the basketball player is like, I have to have this. This is my lucky stone and I'm going to touch it before every game and then win and etc. 
But at the same time... And he's in the playoffs at the time yeah. kind of thing. So the games matter. Yeah. And Adam Sandler is the, the, the jewelry seller. It's sort of like Jacob the Jeweler or the, all those people that were made famous by rappers. And yeah. so at the same time, he's a gambling addict. So he keeps... Um, he, the guy comes in, wants a stone, and trades it for his ring, his NBA ring. And then he immediately takes that ring, pawns it, and then bets on a game. But uh, he he borrowed money from a lot of people, and instead of paying them back, he takes the money, puts it on another bet, and things just go from bad to worse. He just keeps making... But you should say that he, he bets on Kevin Garnett. Yeah. And he's very complicated, like, kind of... I'm not. I don't know how they did these sport, how to do sports bets, but it, it, he uses these parlay bets. But basically, very complicated bets where it's all based on Kevin Garnett's performance mm-hmm. in the basketball game. Yeah, it's like he, um, he gives them an envelope with a lot of money in it and a description of like this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen. And if that happens, I get, mm-hmm. I win. Yeah, like twenty rebounds. Yeah, three, yeah, 30, 30 points, and and they win the game. Kind of and uh, yeah, a lot of the and movie so the, the is, odds is about again, yeah. competition. Yeah. But, you know, like the other thing to mention about this movie is that I think is extremely important is that it is basically um, it occurs in uh, the late 2000s. And it, it the, you could timestamp it based on when the Celtics were in the playoffs or based on um, Adam Sandler's phone, which is an iPhone 4 using like uh, iOS, uh, you know, before like the before flat design, yeah. pre flat design. Yeah. And so it, <clears throat> there's also kind of, I think the tech, the timing is really important because it's this time before, um, it's this time, the last time of instinct, you know, of spirituality in versus in sports anyway, mm. it became all about statistics with the, in, and specifically in basketball, there's this whole, you know, the modern game of basketball is based on that kind of money ball, that Michael Lewis type of thing, where it's like, that you hit more three pointers statistically, that's going to get you know. Even if you miss them, you're going to work. It's going to work out on top because there's going to be you know rebounds. Anyway, the whole game has become stats driven. It became and more this nerdy. is kind of yeah. And so this is the last time before basketball, you know, was stats driven. Sort of during the spiritual time of basketball, and the spirituality is based around you know this runic stone, and also around Adam Sandler's gut instinct and feel and like his blind faith in the american dream and that he's just gonna work his way to the top he's gonna figure it out so he's taking like one leap of faith after the next in fact on several occasions like they they make that literal with him like jumping out of windows or being thrown out of windows and stuff so i think that the timing of it like you couldn't do this as a film in 20 like set in 2020 Mm -hmm. Because you'd be like, makes no sense. No one would do that. Because the whole time you're watching the film, you said this to me too. It's like, why are you doing that? What a stupid decision. Why would you do yeah. that, right? Um, like, what, and, the, the, the guy comes in, he says he wants whatever, a million dollars. Kevin Garnett comes in and he says, I want a million dollars for this stone. And he's like, okay, sure. Can I just hold it for a while, just for one game? And immediately like, <laughs> no. <laughs> That's a, why would you give that to him? And he, he gives him his MBA ring in exchange, and then he takes the MBA ring to a pawn shop to get some money to bet on something. Then he bets on something, but someone else owes him money and cancels the bet. Yeah. Stuff like that. And like you today just, and, probably, and you probably, yeah. Dumb decision to worse. Yeah. Also, the, the aesthetic of the pawn shop and just everything is built on this like sleazy 
underbelly of but it's not even an uh, underbelly like, that's the crazy thing like i i live in manhattan it's 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 not a you know it's not a mm-hmm. cheap neighborhood and there's those stores right. everywhere this is like too yeah. small i i had some cufflinks that were broken i had to get them repaired and it's exactly like where he gets the ring pond it's a hundred percent it's just on the bowery in china there's a, a few areas he's in the diamond district on 47th but that it, i i had to think of um of course i'm not working with the best lawyers but i worked with uh, two or three immigration lawyers and yeah. the obviously making a lot of money and then still they're in a tiny office with uh, like the building seems okay when you enter the the lobby and then as soon as you go on the elevator things get shabbier and shabbier right and it's that i I had to think of if you go to a normal lawyer in the netherlands they're not by far not as expensive as the ones in new york and their Mm. office is beautiful Mm -hmm. they're in a a 17th century building big windows and art on the wall and here it's like the back office behind the back office. And it, that's what I mean. Like that sneezy thing. is Yeah, not yeah it has that vibe. These are very yeah. rich people. That kind of still exists. Yeah. I do think, though, also from a timing perspective, it was interesting because there was a certain like male charisma that the director was portraying as like, like I said, sleazy, right? Like this type of male charisma appears sleazy to you as someone watching this in 2020. But you know, in 2008, these were high-rolling personalities. Yeah, yeah, the I, rules I, you have know, changed. Yeah, the rules have changed a lot. It's like really post-Me Too um, reflections. And you see this in a lot of films that have come out over the last, you know, two or three years, where the male hero is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, and in fact, it's more of a tragedy. You know, it's a reflection on, like, the tragedy of ever having believed in these male heroes to a certain extent, because it doesn't end well. I don't know if we should give the you know complete spoiler. Yeah, I for, think we can go all the way for the film. But you know, Adam, you know, this he he's a he pulls it off, but he still well, loses. Well, you one know, thing like, I noticed in movies now, in in modern gangster movies, is um, the gangsters are getting less and less charismatic. I don't know if you saw this Italian movie about the mafia. What's it called? Um, well, the Irishman? No, 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 the, the Gomorrah. Oh, it's like a raw Italian. Right. And, and you know how Goodfellas or Casino, the, the gangsters are glamorous and funny. Like, mm-hmm. Maybe not necessarily handsome, but they're charismatic. And like, they're, yep. not, they're not yep, yep. an eyesore. And, you know, Adam Sandler is, is not an eyesore, but the rest of the cast, all the thugs are really, they're non-actors, they're actual thugs as far as I read in the interviews. And they're really people you wouldn't want to... They don't have that thing on the screen where you start liking them. Yeah, there's there's no there's that no, no point in this film that you like any of the characters. In fact, <laughs> there's literally nothing desirable. I, know, I was like, so excited about point, this movie. Like, I told my mom, it's like, oh, it's on Netflix. Oh, you, you have to watch this movie. It's amazing. And she, I call her the next day. She's like, what are you doing to me? I turned it off after 10 minutes. This is terrible. (laughs) Yeah, so I think the same is true for the film aesthetic. You know, outside of the mise-en-scene, which is like this tiny office that's poorly lit with junk all over the place and, you know, things breaking, the doors don't even open and close (laughs) properly. Uh, it's also the the way it's and shot. There's so a lot of tight and speed. A lot of t- yeah, and a lot of tight shots that make you feel claustrophobic. And then the color treatment 
is a lot of blue light, you know, like the type of light that makes skin. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of green skin. Well, you know? one, one thing they've, <laughs> they've worked with throughout their movies is they take a telephoto, a long lens, and stand far away from the actors, and they mm-hmm. start shooting, but they don't tell the actors when they start shooting. So the actors kind of just uh. go wild, and the camera's kind of far. And because the camera's far, often there's a car in the shot passing by. So you kind of feel like a someone across the street is trying to follow a conversation. And Interesting. one style element that they use is... Um, the the actors often don't listen to each other, and, uh, just like this podcast. They just talk through each other. So <laughs> it's something that they use again and again that they'll shoot the scene with maybe two, three cameras far away and record stuff, and people are just rambling. They're in character. and, and They're also known for doing really long shoots and making working everybody until they're really past the point of exhaustion, and you, you feel that in the movie. Like, they're not acting as if they're desperate. They're really desperate. Like, I can't go on, and they they have to keep going, <laughs> which is it, it's not a yeah. nice way to treat your employees, but it results in a, a realness in the film. Yeah, there is a certain like. So uh, I don't know if I made you feel bad about watching yeah. the movie now, knowing that they don't treat their crew well. Uh no no it reminded me actually of uh you know performing and like um. When I when I've done video performances and stuff, and uh, someone was asking, like a student was asking me about this recently, like, how do you prepare? Like, there's no way you could like read this all out. And I was like, well, you know, you prepare by just knowing the points you have to hit. Like, what are your marks? And then you speak naturally to those marks. And I don't know if that's actor training. That's just how I've like fumbled through performing long sets. Like, if you have to perform for an hour, you're not gonna. It's not like theater. You don't. And no one's going to see the same thing twice. In my case, it's more like stand-up. So I'm just like, well, I got to make this point and then that point. And you loosely get that the words like 90% right. There's a premise, but yeah. the actors improvise. That's right. Yeah, exactly. You just you choose the premise. It's very much like Curb Your Enthusiasm. Actually, this film kind of plays it. You're right. Like the acting style plays out. Obviously, Curb Your Enthusiasm is contrite to the point where it's like you know that they don't they are their bad actors uh but there are a few moments in this scene maybe with like his girlfriend or the kids and stuff where you're like to your point they're kind of talking over each other's lines and or there's that guy at the um casino with the the weird hair (laughs) the the old tan guy and you're just like and he's clearly in there as um how do I put this? Like it's it's a type of prop in filmmaking. They, probably filmmakers have a, a word for this, but when you put a you put a quirky character in just to like, you know, kind of naturalize the film because of course like no one's you know we meet these weird characters in our lives, but they're never reflected in Hollywood cinema. Mm. That's uh, yeah. So I think like, a lot of the, the the way they made this movie was they knew some stories of of the Diamond District because it's really it, it I think. It's an extreme concentration of, of financial power as all the mm-hmm. diamonds of North America go through these two blocks in New York. So, yeah. And it attracts weird characters, sort of an outlaw feel. Yeah, I was just like you're anxious the whole time because the guy's hanging out. He's They're walking around with million-dollar, you know, kind of diamonds in their hands or rocks. Yeah, and he like, just puts it they in just, his pocket. If they were trip like, and fall, yeah, <laughs> the earrings, yeah, they, Kevin Garnetsky earrings the, at one point. The movie point. starts with, the, and it must have been hard for you to watch, but it starts with the African mining, 
and there's an accident and somebody <laughs> is, is uh, leg is snapped into and people are trying to help him and then some other miners go in the back and find this opal while everyone else is distracted by the accident and it's also filmed very gory and raw and it's kind of difficult to watch and then a, yeah. a, a few minutes later you see the jewelry store and the FedEx arrives and it just shows up with a styrofoam box with a big uh, um, a big raw fish in it and then he he puts his hand in the fish and takes out the stone but that's the way he got it it's pretty disgusting yeah 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 that's the only way to get it through customs so it like starts out on this kind of illegal yeah it, it's funny because you're used to I think this movie a lot of it is about uh, creating value and mm. you you see you see a little bit behind the curtains like how much bullshit it is and so when you think about yeah. it, the stones are, are worthless. You can't eat them and whatever. But um, then we... Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's the mysticism, yeah. like belief in... Like, and that's and how, New York is such money a symbol is, right? for it's that. A, where, like, objectively, yeah. it's a piece of shit. Like, it's really a terrible place. The, the, the weather's terrible. It's dirty. It's expensive. Why would yeah. you be there? But everybody's here. It's like, I have to create the myth. <laughs> Yeah, and at one point he and they refer to that literally in the film, where like Adam Sandler's like is famous for this one Furby encrust diamond encrusted <laughs> Furby piece of jewelry. That's yeah. His, to like, describe it, it's, it's, it's like a, it basically is basically a children's toy covered in diamonds that you can hang on your neck, and the eyes move, and everyone's like, "Whoa!" <laughs> anyway, it's like, but it, it's clearly like that whole. Um, and it's not really supreme, but that whole world of like. Well, there's um, one guy called like Jacob said, the Jeweler. I think they were inspired by Jacob him. the Jeweler, right? You see in yeah. rap videos where they will have like the rim of a car hanging on the neck with diamonds on it, and it can spin and like basically yeah. animated jewelry. But they're they're kind of out creating, Kinetic sculpture. Or, you know, outdoing each other. Like it's like, almost if like Hans a race Hager to the had a jewelry store. Yeah. And so, like, if you're wearing jewelry like that, obviously, it's not about being a responsible adult. <laughs> it's about pure demonstration, like filthy demonstration of wealth. A vulgar display right? of power. Yeah, vulgar. Exactly. Vulgarity is the. I, yeah, I think if we were going to summarize this film, is it's like capitalism as like vulgar, vulgar capitalism, yeah. you know, on display. Yeah, yeah and and and, and, and a display of ambition and. Because even like the way he exhibits wealth is with an apartment downtown for his mistress. And, you know, like I, one thing I couldn't get and I was this is just more of a sidetrack question is like why this woman is in, is in is in into him. Because at first I thought she's just into him for the money, but then she gets that tattoo. But maybe. Yeah, she's into him, even though um, he's a loser. Like he, she gets a tattoo of him on her butt or whatever. Just like, God, like. <laughs> Can't even talk about this. It sound good. I think I think I set up this whole movie review thing to make you feel weird. Yeah, like I'm trying to sell in this horrible movie. <laughs> it's a very. Both these movies are quite misogynist. So, but, yeah. Oh my god! Ugh, but you, yeah. we were just yeah, going to talk like about said, these the are... color grading, right? Yeah. That's... <laughs> His hey, pink shirt I think and the that's color and things like that. <laughs> oh yeah and the weekend is in the movie yeah. too so um but yeah anyway the girl i think um i yeah well, the, like i never the girl is, I, she was the weirdest the choice store, so at first you don't know she, and i shouldn't say girl woman well it's an agent but that's another discussion this lady yeah she's a much younger yeah. one let's say she's 25 or something something yeah. like so that, there's yeah. a there's a attractive woman working in the store and there's a uh, and 
sort of an agent, a, a connection between the jewelry store and the world of basketball and hip hop. And he brings in clients. Oh, there's a guy who kind of, yeah. yeah, like bring that the way Kevin Garnett gets into the store. And is, he's the actor from you know, Sorry Adam to Bother Sandler's You. He's doing a lot of movies guy. now. Yeah. He was also yeah. He's awesome. He's in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. That's that was the reason Kristen agreed to watch this film because we love Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, she's yeah. like, "Oh, it's the guy from Atlanta. Let's yeah. watch it." <laughs> um, but the girl is very flirty, and that's probably part of the sales strategy. So uh, the, the Kevin Garnett comes in, and he's like, "So are you single?" and those kind of questions, and she's just kind of giggling. He's like, "I don't know," and she she's unclear, and and you don't know that she's dating Adam Sandler, or that they have a thing going. But at one time, they, at one point, they break up because she makes out or is, you know, seems to make out with the weekend at yeah. a party that Adam Sandler goes to. And Adam Sandler can get into these parties because he sells jewelry to all these famous people. Um, but he's really a loser. And so anyway, it's like all wrapped up in that. But I don't think they really ever resolved her character's kind of motive no. outside of money, because at the end, she ends up with all the money, yeah. um, which is he wins this final bet, which is worth you know, over a million dollars. We're in pure, absolute, disgusting spoiler territory <laughs> here. But, he, you know, the, a lot of the last third of the film is built around this tension of, is he going to win the bet or not? And these guys that are, you know, that he owes a ton of money to are locked in between his office in this kind of like security vacuum space between his office and the hallway. Yeah, they're ready to kill him. While they, they're, they're really... Yeah, they, while they, they watch... He, yeah. he was dodging them the whole movie. Every time he saw them, he yeah. jumps out a window or jumps into a, a fountain uh, where he just tries to get away he's getting away from multiple yeah. people he owes money and to then the he's film, like yeah. okay i'm fed up with it we're going to his <clears> office <throat> we're going to his store and if he doesn't pay we're going to shoot him end of story yeah yeah and so there's but just he's this, like, um, like just just hang tight you guys are locked in but <laughs> if this bet pays off yeah. i'm going to pay you don't worry and so then it's 20 minutes of pure stress of watching the, so the basketball game. So they're forced to watch the, the game together. And he and the basketball game, the bet does pay off. And so, you know, the, the winnings are like also, a million dollars. Also, the guy who owes money know. is his brother-in-law. That's right. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. So they have a family dinner together at yeah. one point, which is really So the, the, the movie's constantly sort of going between you almost think it's going to be okay and then it doesn't. Yeah, he makes, and even the gangster is, or his brother-in-law is relieved at the end, near the end that they that he's won, and he's like, he actually did it. And the the mysticism or the yeah. belief in the myth is confirmed. But he has these two like guys moment. with him, his muscle, and yeah. they've been tortured by him for the whole movie. He's been kind of been making fun of them, and so even though he's won the bet of the basketball game, and he could pay him back uh, and even more, they've just they can't put up with the psychological torture anymore. And it's basically, <laughs> yeah. it's, it, they are the audience of the movie. They're like, you know what? This movie is just too much. I can't handle it anymore. <laughs> That's true. I never thought of it that way. So they shoot him in the, shoot him yeah. in the <laughs> Why are you doing <laughs> this to the me? final scene. Final scene is like uh, him bleeding out. And then the, the woman that the younger woman that he's been, you know, having in his apartment, she, she takes off with the and, money. And the thugs uh, um, take everything out of the store. And the thugs rob the, the the place. Yeah, so it's kind of a. So I don't very know, briefly like summarized. It, yeah. There's a jeweler. He has a gambling addiction, <laughs> and he pushes it so far. He borrows money, never pays it back, and he pushes it so far that they kill him. Yeah, maybe you don't need to watch yeah. it. I mean, this took us thirty minutes just to describe. But would you? Do, <laughs> is, it, is it one of those M Night Shyamalan movies that if you know the ending, it's not interesting <clears> to watch? 
I think you would find it interesting just because the tension level throughout the film, it, it, it remains high. Like literally every single scene, it's like they took, you know, that like a movie where there's like a horror movie or a thriller where in the in one scene, there's like a tension that develops. Like, is it is it going to happen? Like maybe, um, you know, in like, you know, locks you know, in, in one of those in, in kind of a Western movie or something or, or a thriller where it's like, is the murder in the house? And then they've applied that to every shot in the film. Yeah. <laughs> like, is he going to make it across the street? Oh my God, I don't know. No, he got hit. Of course yeah. he did. And he's like, is, is, he, is his wife going to you know, find out? Yes, of course she found out. And she's leaving. And it's like, just stacked, like there's thousands of these moments. So I think it's worth watching just well, to explore that misery. I, to me, <laughs> uh, so there's, there's many ways of watching a movie the first time, the second time, the third time. And um, Yeah. Did you watch it more no, than No, I just saw it once. But, what I notice is what I like about movies going in, and I hope you watch the movie before you listen to us. But you know how you go to a Marvel movie and you know absolutely sure what's going to happen from the first minute, mm-hmm. and it's well done and it's well lit and the, the people are attractive and uh, good job. But you mm-hmm. know that Black Panther is going to win. You know Captain America is yeah. going to win. And, uh, yeah, they'll yeah, figure it and out. maybe got, maybe this, it's such yeah. a large franchise that there can be one of the movies has a dark ending, and then they'll resolve it in the next movie. So mm-hmm. you have a cliffhanger. Um, and I like basically I like movies where I'm just a sort of it. It doesn't have to be a thriller where like, who did it or whatever, but that you're constantly like either stressed or overwhelmed, and you really don't know what's next. Mm-hmm. I mean. I'm whenever I'm watching a movie like this though I will say this I'm always like because I'm trained on those other films I'm like if they just do these things of course they can work it out why'd they even get into this situation can I not just watch a movie where everyone just has a good time <laughs> yeah right yeah. <laughs> and and I once I worked with a writer uh, way back when and he said Jeremy there can't be a narrative without conflict which uh, you know I don't know you if that's watch true the but movies so, by he said the Japanese filmmaker. Like something has, he's like, something has to be at but stake. I do, something, I do think some, there has to be some risk of what, loss. What you're saying is you're probably watching a lot of American movies because American movies are built a certain way and problems are usually solved with violence, some form of violence, mm-hmm. either a shouting match Which or is a, a gunfight, yeah. uh, something dramatic. But there's, a, there's a lot of other cultures conflict, that have yeah. more subdued films. Well, like, I don't know, like... Um, like, like, what's an example though? Like, like um, the films of Ozu. If we look the, at like Parasite, film director. which one's that? Uh, Ozu, Ozu. Oh, Ozu. Yeah. Okay, so that's maybe our next. Have review. you seen any of his Ozu. films? No. No. Well, there's, there's, is the film Ozu or the director? The director's name, name is Ozu, but uh, even Vim Vendors, oh, okay. a lot of his movies are not so conflictual. Oh yeah, Vim Vendors. That's yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I thought of Vim Vendors because he yeah. made a documentary about Ozu, but. Um, um, but Vim Benders would be someone where the film, or like Jim Jarmusch, where it kind of just rests there, um, where the film doesn't necessarily resolve itself, yeah. um, just like a moment in time type yeah, of thing. Yeah, but it, when you think about it, uh, movies reflect reality and then reality imitates movies. So I always yeah. think about this idea that, that violence and war is, is so photogenic. It, it makes a movie mm-hmm. visceral. It's just like salt on food. And so it's a chicken or the egg question, but do movies glorify war and then make it okay or the other way around? 
Well, they say like, uh, you know, headphones gave the city a soundtrack. So, you know, made the city more mm. cinematic. Um, we've talked about yeah. that before on the podcast. So, yeah, I think there's something to that. I mean, so that's a good, maybe that's a good uh, segue into this other film if you, if we have time to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, or should we split this into um, episodes? I don't know. I I really want to tie in Mandy okay. just because. So let's let's do if Mandy there's like and then a, bring least, a less pleasurable film than. Sorry. <laughs> if there's like a less pleasurable film than Uncut Gems, it's maybe. Mandy, <laughs> <I think> it's <laughs> uh, next time you can choose the movies. <laughs> <laughs> or let's say like a like a less comfortable film. So if I was gonna if I was gonna direct an even less comfortable film than Uncut Gems, I'd be like, okay, let's cut. Let's like take the camera down ten stops. So that it's darkest almost fuck. invisible. It's the darkest film possible. Uh, yeah, and then let's put some ketchup on the lens. <laughs> <laughs> I think Mandy uh, is pretty can, easy to summarize the story, right? Yeah, basically, um, this like kind of uh, they say it's like a religious cult or Christian cult or something, but it seems like more like a satanic cult comes into town and kidnaps these uh, this uh, couple. And burns the the woman in front of Nicolas Cage, who's the partner, who's like tied up in barbed wire. Then, and after that, you know, she's burned to death, and yeah, and he escapes, and it's a revenge for her death. Yeah. So um, the plot is basically he, like, some, he lost his wife, yeah. and then just kill everyone. Classic revenge, yeah, yeah classic revenge uh, kind of movie, and like um, you know, he forges his own weapons and stuff, and but the whole thing is. This is another, you know, I think a connection to Uncut Gems is like, A, it's like someone watched the introduction to Stranger Things and was like, hmm, what if you made a movie about that? Yeah, I wanted to talk about that because uh, it, 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 the thing I was interested about is, is um, the idea of ret- retro. Yeah, yeah. So it's like set in this like 80s aesthetic but, or like the so mise-en-scene it's directed 80s by synth Panos Cosmatos metal. and his father was an 80s action movie director. He directed Rambo 2 and this other Stallone movie called Cobra. So there's, oh, right, and, yeah. and, and he lost his parents at a young age. So that adds a layer to the way he looks at 80s movies is basically he's looking at his father. It gives it another layer. But it, but it doesn't really have the pop sensibility. Like, it's, like this definitely reminded me way more of hanging out with other video art friends and stuff who are like, you know, into internet subcultures and like, you know, grimy, sleaze core metal, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like kind of stuff. And, um, you know, so it's revolting on purpose throughout yeah. the whole film. And it's really intentionally hard to watch. But, but one of the um, things I find interesting is uh, there's a religious history, there are official yeah. documents, there's a church that keeps a certain tradition and a truth. And then there's the pop culture version of it. So, there's, mm-hmm. there's Satanism from the Catholic Church where they warn you about Satan and then some people like Satan. But most people know about satanic imagery through horror movies, not through the church. Like a lot of people don't even right. go to church anymore and the only way they know right. about that. So this movie in a sense is, yeah. is a, a, a very traditional movie. It looks at the tradition of, of horror and then takes it a step further or ten steps further. But similar to Uncut Gems, it like sort of mythologizes the like cult, religious cult kind of um, leader, yeah. 
as this like symbol of power in American society, maybe like similar to the Manson family kind of uh, setup, like the villains in the the group. They kind of blindly follow this white male like leader who you know pl- you know praises like you know positions it's, it's themselves similar. close to God. It, 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 so there's way. a there's an LSD element in Mandy, and uh, Charles Manson was known to give everyone in the room uh, LSD and he would pretend to take it but he would be the only sober person in the room and then manipulate them right and there's that one scene in the movie that's incredible I just have to talk about it which is like there's the religious leader and then the woman that eventually they burn alive and they keep the they crossfade between the two faces oh yeah as they're kind of like talking and it looks he it, it it creates this appearance that he's making her talk as their faces blend together it, it's a very lo-fi effect. There's so many really cool lo-fi effects in yeah. this film that it would be but hard to go through them all. But. What, what's interesting to me is that there's been waves of uh, 80s campy references in movies. Yeah. Or, or you have someone like Tarantino who has a lot of references in 70s movies. But there's been an internet wave of, like, uh, you remember Kung Fury? Yeah. It started as a as an eight minute uh, YouTube thing, and then they got a budget to make it a half hour film on Netflix, or even a full, mm-hmm. full. And it just, and then the Stranger Things, and they use all the original synths from that era, and they kind of make it feel like a cross between ET and uh, Back to the Future and other stuff. And this movie feels, uh, it it. it like usually it's very cringy for me to watch this retro stuff and somehow in this movie it works i don't know what it is well yeah I think part of it i think is really that he grew up on set of those 80s movies with stallone yeah like it feels legitimately authentic and i'll and say goes one reason you might he, feel he that way is that he yeah That's what's interesting but you you might feel that way because he uses the device to the point of its misuse so what i mean by that is like he'll use like um like the high, the, the the low light situation, to the point where it's almost impossible to understand what's going on in the scene. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, but he'll layer on this like, or let, let's take reverb. So he takes reverb audio right throughout the film, so it seems like it's a poorly mic'd film. That then they've amped the audio and added a reverb to that gives it this like space like quality, but to the point where sometimes the characters are in, you know, you can't, you don't understand what they're saying. Um, And therefore like it's becomes more about the treatment than the content. Uh, But it's somehow, if if that makes sense, like uh, it's not just superfluous, just playing with sound. It really enhances the, the, the story. Yeah. It's like, I think I described it to you as like getting into uh, like a bath and with and just having the red heat light on or whatever (laughs) and then like listening under the water to like your you know your senses it's a very sensorial film is what i'm getting at and so the the, all of the aesthetic devices are used to create this sensorial experience which is like you said emblematic of hallucinogenics and and so it doesn't feel like it's just a treatment on top of a regular story. It's the aesthetic itself that is the story. Yeah. But that was what and, I and, felt and, anyway. What I liked about the movie, he also wrote this. With, so both movies are uh, built around an actor when the movie was being developed. So mm-hmm. the, the Safdie brothers wanted Adam Sandler. They already had the story 10 years ago. But they were too small mm. to work with him. Like he didn't respond. Oh, really? Because that's when the film set almost. Yeah. Set so they, they had him in mind. Like, it couldn't be any other actor. It just had to be him. Hmm. And the same with Nicolas Cage, the the Panos, the director. 
And he went. <laughs> we have to talk. And about so Nicholas Cage, as a side note, is kind of broke, so he has to take whatever project comes along. <laughs> yeah, is that true? So that's lucky for for them. What? How is well, he? Well, have broke? you seen him what? in big movies lately? Um, I feel like no. And no. so the, the, I'm I'm yeah. very intrigued but, by a certain actors and musicians that become the character, just like Jeff Koons becomes the character. And Nicolas mm-hmm. Cage is a guy, I, maybe Johnny Depp is the same, like they want to live this rock and roll lifestyle. And I think Johnny Depp is close to being broke as well. So they just act Yeah, that way. and you feel that in the movie. No one else can do it. You can't fake it. Well, but, the, but what like, I was trying to so, say is that yeah, well, Panos, the director, went to Nicolas Cage and said, I want you to be more Nicolas Cage than you've ever been. <laughs> And he definitely yeah. pulled that off. So there's a funny YouTube. If you go on YouTube and search uh, Nicolas Cage screaming, and so in every movie he does this scream of agony, where he just goes, ah! <laughs> yeah. And basically Mandy is is that YouTube compilation. Well, in that, the, and there's one particular scene in the bathroom. So he, he gets home after being kind of like chained up. His wife he, died. He falls asleep he, out of exhaustion. He wakes up, yeah. His partner and wife has been burned he's, alive. He's wearing he wakes a sweater up, he realizes, with the, the, the head of a tiger <coughs> on it and uh, some briefs, like a, just some tidy whitey <laughs> underwear. Yeah, and he pour, pours alcohol all over he his wounds. He drinks a whole bottle and, of vodka quickly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He pours the same vodka he drinks, and then he like breaks down. It's like, Gah! He just screams for five that's, minutes, and there's yeah. no music. <laughs> and also, yeah. that scene, there's not much color correction or uh, red. Or yeah. it's, it's just kind of normal. It's a very ugly 70s-looking bathroom with ugly yeah. orange tiles and, and carpet on the toilet and all that crap. And he's just standing there in his tiger sweater and his underwear and screaming. What's weird about that scene is it's like the only well-lit scene yeah. in the whole movie yeah. as well. That uh, I found that interesting. Um, I don't know why maybe just to get that one like because they could have paid I kept thinking a Nicolas Cage impersonator to be in this film (laughs) no one would have known Uh, because he also doesn't there's almost no dialogue and so how do I know this because I was watching I watched this at home too I hope no one from the uh, you know copyright office is watching this I used Cody oh it was 99 cents um, to rent on Amazon was it oh I looked and I didn't see I said show me Mandy yeah I wanted to pay for it. I couldn't. Um, so I will pay for it. I'll go after this and I'll pay for it. I promise. <laughs> I, who knows? Maybe I already did. Uh, anyway. And uh, so the audio felt like it was slightly out of sync. So I like tur- put up the little thing to adjust the audio sync. And I waited for a full <laughs> half an hour. <laughs> yeah, that's For it to be this, for a situation where there were but lips that's, and audio. The, the kind of grow up with the era of movies. Like, uh, what's, what's the... Uh, the, the, if, whenever we do movie reviews, there will be a lot of what's that movie? But uh, Predator. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Classic yeah. Uh, Schwarzenegger action. You're just movie. Walking, walking around the jungle. And, yeah. and I think there's dialogue in the first <clears throat> 10 minutes. Not much, but yeah. it's like, go, go, go. Get, a, get to the chopper. And then uh, there's a bit of dialogue like, hey, chief, what's that? And then once the monster starts <laughs> killing people, there's no dialogue for two hours. I guess it's the same in Aliens yeah, or any yeah, of those yeah. movies. But so. I remember seeing Predator in. So he, Schwarzenegger is hiding in the jungle. He puts mud on himself to become invisible. He's fighting with the monster. And at some point, the monster, the alien takes his helmet off. And so Schwarzenegger hasn't talked in an hour or 15 minutes. And then he goes, you are one ugly motherfucker. 
<laughs> that's all that's said in an hour and a half. <laughs> right. And it's that also that era of catchphrases. Yeah. Now, the, I don't think there were any catchphrases in this film, which is no, a shame. No, I, I think but these there two was movies a moment, were very stream of consciousness, uh, visual storytelling. But there are a couple iconic moments. Like there's this weapon that he forges uh, for his revenge uh, slaying, this like this like battle yeah, axe beautiful. Uh, it looks forges like a Jeff out of Coons its own sculpture. metal. <laughs> yeah, this like extremely violent looking. Yeah, but it's like if you would ask uh, Jeff Koons to make a weapon, he would make that. Yeah, it looks. Yeah, it's like uh, it almost looks like. Yeah, it's like it could be just cut out a little scene of an artist studio or something <laughs> <laughs> making this axe, which he uses like it maybe like w- like twice. It barely gets used after the forging scene. <laughs> it's like so indulgent. Um, but there are a few like scenes like that, and also the chainsaw, the kind chainsaw of, fight. Uh, fight. Yeah, so there's there's a fight is, between know. two people, and they both have a very long <laughs> chainsaw, and they're using well, one as is a sword, long chainsaw, one is a short chainsaw, and I think the chainsaw is like a stand-in for a penis. Yeah. So like, it's a big, big ego, long, long chainsaw guy versus. But what I what I liked about the, the movie from from the start, I didn't know much about it. I just went to the theater, and all I knew was that the director had asked Nicolas Cage to be more Nicolas Cage than he had ever been. That's that's okay. enough for me. It's like I'll I'll pay twelve dollars to see that. I'm curious. Was was anyone else in the theater? Yeah, it was saw? packed. It was a, yeah. Oh, okay. But um, I remember it, it's it's fun when you go into movies not knowing so much, and I just remember yeah. being surprised. Like, oh no, they can't go further than this. No, they can't put. The, yeah. No, you can't go yeah. further than that. <laughs> it just it keeps topping and topping. Is like into ridiculous town. Yeah. I think I should have seen this in a theater, or at least watched that. I, night. I, I, I think because like you want the color correction to be that perfect. I'm not better in the theater, but yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention about the film, though, just like for a brief moment before we finish up on it, was on the art direction, and specifically, each section of the film was uh, had its own title sequence, um, and these like yeah, these metal inspired. Like, uh, yeah, metal album yeah, covers. Yeah, so, so Each I think the beginning, like the Mandy title was black metal, and then one was more thrash metal, and one was more seventies rock. And yeah, and I know you have expertise in this genre of music. Yeah. So was that? Did those seem like legitimately cool to you, or like they seem kind of cool? Well, to they me. they um, th- th- those logos are not hard to imitate. So I, that was not the most yeah. impressive visual part. I, I I thought that was kind of like okay. I, I thought the, okay. the way but they that visualized seemed like the like, like literal S- it was the reference yeah, point yeah. though like it was like an index yeah. like oh yeah this is what culture we're talking yeah, yeah, yeah. about <laughs> but, but what does interest <laughs> me is um, when you think for example about the history of rock and roll and uh, coming mm-hmm. after the blues and then rock and roll is very raw in the beginning and then the Beatles polish it a bit and it gets more poppy and, and smooth and then oh, the yeah. 70s come and there's more of a virtuoso thing going on. So it's arena rock and, and like long jams and drum solos and bass solos and people that are Definitely. more skilled than classical music. And, you know, it gets to Pink Floyd level, basically. And then punk comes along and, and goes back to the original idea of rock and roll, which is uh, pissing off your parents and uh, not being able to play. And, but so punk is really wasn't musically that innovative it was just they turned it up a bit and played rock and roll faster there was even at the yeah. time when it began there's an interview with uh, Johnny Rotten where a Dutch music reporter asks him punk is nothing new it's just rock and roll played a little faster and and uh, Johnny Rotten is like well you're an idiot 
you know, <laughs> and it, 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 it's funny, like, I'm sh- maybe if I had been 30 in, in 1977, and I grew up with rock and roll, I would have been like, oh, this punk shit is nothing new. But looking back on it, yeah. of course it was new. And so I'm very well, interested. In, him, yeah. uh, Marcel Duchamp talked about this concept of the aesthetic echo and things reverberating mm-hmm. through time and aesthetics reverberating through time. And sometimes it's, it's a lesser version and sometimes it builds and goes further. Well, that's an interesting point because, um, you know, obviously we haven't talked about what, it, what it means to make like what is pure, almost like purely an analog film. Um, and when I asked you about this movie, I was like, when I saw the trailer, I was like, are those, is those real filters? Is that like, did they shoot this yeah, on is it film real film? Because they want to make it you know, you were like, no, it's probably just like a filter and treatment. And then we looked it up and it is all real. And, and you know, like, so they really did what like, you know, use all of these kind of analog effects. So it's all in cam. A lot of the stuff's in camera. Well, they, like if they want to make the shot kind of red, they just really put a red physical filter in front of the lens. But it was shot, Mandy was shot digitally. And I think Uncut Gems was shot on film. Oh really? So Mandy was shot. Yeah, digital. yeah, and they shot it in Belgium. Well, for now I mean, reasons. it's meaningless. Meaningless. It, they shot it in the, the <laughs> in French Belgium. part of Belgium. It, it, it's supposed to be in port in Oregon, but uh, yeah. Right, because that would have been a Ma- that would have been a Manson reference, but like, um, oh, okay. Well, so I thought really like, okay, regardless. Well, film and, and digital are really it, it's hard to distinguish at this point. Uh, yeah, I guess because I had a hard time, but. Um, like I guess if they put they red filters you, over basically. it versus like filtering it. Oh, well, I was gonna <laughs> ask this like basic question: like, what does it mean to make a film on film in 2020? Maybe it's a cliche question, but I just thought, you know, you know, that's why you know, if the premise of the film was uh, in regards to some mysticism, film has this history, you know, projectionist. As a video artist, you think about film as light projected, and you know, versus. Uh, like um, in video where it's it's coming out of the screen yeah. versus onto the yeah. screen. And it results in a very different dynamic. Uh, theoretically, in video, you, you refer to that, like you're the antithesis of this, the light being projected onto the screen, which is this idea of the mystical, of the illusionist, um, whereas video, which is coming from the screen, is vital and living and you know, a, a document of a living thing. So that, those two things anyway, when you study video are... In, so we've been... No, I know, but that's just like how theory is organized. No, I know. So but, I'm just but, saying so like... For example, yeah. uh, they introduced high frame rate, which makes things look mm-hmm. like video games or soap operas. And we've been trained yeah. to accept 24 frames per second as cinema. So... Uh, because that's the illusion, the surreal, yeah, right? Yeah, and... and my, I, in general, you know, I, I like new developments and we don't have to keep doing things the old way. So if digital has its own qualities, we should explore those. The, the only thing I, I really, uh, I, it seems that film is more dreamy. There's something about the or, mm-hmm. organic grain versus the, the grid-like pixel, that the, the mm-hmm. grid of the pixel is so precise and sharp uh, and the the resolution is much higher than film, and this. I mean, there is grain in digital. You know, it depends yeah. on you know in, in like a digital exposure. Yeah. There's they use a lot of denoising filters though. Yeah. Um, within the set the the camera software. Like, I also read something the, about the Kodak. Like 
the reason film grain is so pleasant and fat flattering is not by chance that took Kodak many decades to develop a very pleasing grain. <laughs> it, it's intentional. Yeah. It wasn't just like, oh, film is awesome, end of story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's right, because if you shoot on film, you know that there's different stocks, like there's Ilford yeah. versus Kodak, and they have different grains. But different I, like, for example, I saw Un- Uncut Gems uh, at Metrograph on 35 millimeter. I'm not even sure if it was shot. So they transferred it back to 35? Well, they let, went, let me see. Let me just they shot it digital? Mandy was shot digitally, I'm sure, but I don't know if... Uh, oh, right, right. Um, uncut was never... So did they? if they did uncut on 35, though, did they edit on 35? I doubt it. I doubt they edited it. Well, they would scan it. They would have transferred oh, no, it. It says the film was shot by Darius Kanji on 35 millimeter film. So then they scan it, and then they print okay, it so, on film again. Well, no, no. What they, what they could have done is they could have... Um, printed an EDL, which is an edit decision list, and then oh, recut yeah, the true. 35. I doubt they did yeah, that, yeah, but... Yeah. Um, There's a lot of color anyway. manipulation in Uncut Gems. There's no way... Yeah. Right, there's no way that was done. No. Well, you, there, you could still do color before I, digital. What I, what I was getting at is that I go to... Metrograph is known for showing as much as possible on film, and then a lot of times I go into theater, and if I don't look at the ticket or the, the website, I really can't tell. Hmm. I mean, I personally like the look of digital, like, or don't I shouldn't say like, like I I can appreciate that there are different variations on it, right? Like, because coming from a video background, what's that um, horror movie in the forest that they shot on video? Like um, Blair Witch, yeah. The the Blair Witch Project, yeah. Yeah, that was like a breakthrough movie. Mind you, I had to leave the theater to throw up during that movie (laughs) because I was in the front row. Because you're used to. The same with District 9, uh, films like that, where they use the aesthetic of bad video and then use high-end special yeah. effects, and then it feels more real because the finished product feels like a home video. But what's interesting now is, like, to shoot... Um, if you use contemporary tools, you can get a like extremely clean image. And so... But people... So, like, culturally, though, people seem to be seeking, and it's like... People the want to dream. Podcast. They want to escape. They don't want reality. But that only comes in error? Or a dream is not too sharp, I think. But this is like the basketball thing I was talking about. Modern, the modern NBA is about precision and stats and st- you know, statistics and being, having a great all-around game and being good. Anyway, so everything is about being perfect in the NBA today. And the NBA, like 15 years ago, was about getting what in the paint. Like, by the way, I follow basketball <laughs> kind of too closely, I'm but surprised. it's an interesting uh, analogy for film. Yeah. It was about getting in the paint, grinding it out and like using your body, like body on body contact to get to the hoop. And it was about belief in yourself and the te- like, you, I don't know. Did you feel like just they like, captured the basketball idea well in Uncut Gems? Yeah. Yeah, they did. They, I mean, they, they could have gone deeper on that. I think at it, the it, end where Adam Sandler or how he is talking to Kevin Garnett and explaining how much he, Kevin wants to know really how much are you making on this on this opal yeah yeah exactly and so and then he talks about you know believing in yourself and the stats are saying you're only going to do this and you can do better it really resonated with me because in the NBA people always say um, you know not a, not everyone but a lot of people will say it does you know it's doesn't really matter that much. Like they'll look at the stats of the team and make make a prediction. But like in Toronto, where I am, like the the Raptors, our team is always an underdog team, and always hits above its weight. And it, a lot of times they'll they'll attribute this to like 
the coach or chemistry on the team. But turns out like chemistry, if you look at the stats lines, there's different players like that actually ruin, like Kyrie Irving's an example, who was on the Celtics now with the Brooklyn Nets. They'll ruin the chemistry of a team. And so you could have like all these great players on the team, but one bad player will just ruin. This is too deep. I'm going down mm-hmm. too deep a rabbit hole. But that one bad player will, will ruin the whole team because they ruin the culture of the team. Mm. And the team doesn't believe in itself. And there's this basketball is a so-called game of runs. So, you know, people will, there's actually, you'll go cold. They talk about players being cold or hot. Um, And again, back to the mysticism or belief, if the player believes in themselves, so the, you know, what people talk about is you just have to keep shooting the ball. Even if you keep missing, keep shooting because you have to believe in yourself for the ball to go through the net. It's, It's crazy stuff, actually, when you just like get into basketball and then you see it actually happen. Um, so I love that aspect of the film, to be honest with you, as like a basketball or emerging yeah, like, basketball well, the, nerd. I'm sure I think some the, listeners the basketball are cringing, represented the uncertainty in the movie. Yeah, exactly. But there's also just in basketball, there's like um, there's the unexplained that's part, and that's in both of these films. Like some of the things, some things don't make sense. Yeah. Like you yeah. shouldn't do those things, Adam. Stop. But his belief Howie. in something greater than himself. Yeah, Howie. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm just gonna. Yeah, his name's Howie, not Adam. They should have just called him Adam because I feel like that's what Adam <laughs> and, and was like the, actually like. The, the stress of uncut gems was was watching Mandy as stressful for you. Um, I had to stop watching Mandy halfway through. Honestly, I couldn't take it, and then I, <laughs> I watched it over two days. But why did like, you? Can you describe? Yeah, because, I'm just curious that like what. Because it was like living through a nightmare, yeah. kind of like you're in this space and you're just like, oh no, like what? No, oh, that's horrible. It's really uncomfortable to watch. Oh, those sounds. So both like, these movies the are sound, constantly like, you're just like, no, don't, no, oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> but yeah, in, so in a way, a there's, that. this is a little bit dark, but at some point I was talking to someone about children and whatever, and there's this theory of uh, antinatalism. And that uh, when you bring a life into this world, the, the odds are like maybe 50-50, it'll be a good life or a bad life. And mm-hmm. then the, the, the logical, mathematical idea is that when you roll the dice on a life, there's a 50% chance of a bad outcome. But if you don't roll the dice, there's no harm done. It's, you're, not, uh, you're not hurting anyone. So you, if you create a bad life for someone, you're hurting an individual. If you don't create a life, this, And so... Um, the 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 philosopher who came up with this idea of antinatalism described a bad life as you're sitting in the movie theater watching a bad movie, but you don't want to get up because you don't want to bother the rest of the people, so you sit through the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I, I believe in watching something all the way through if you start it, just as out of respect, because yeah. um, it's not about enjoying something. I mean. I guess this is my video art training, which is like you sit down, if you're at a gallery and you see video art, you're probably your first impulse is in the first 10 seconds to walk away because you're missing all the context. Like the video is set up to fail. Um, But I will force myself to sit and watch it all the way through because, you know, the attention is something that video art has already played, always played with. I mean, most people don't have that kind of attention span to your point about time and like distraction in modern society. So I think like, um, you well, the know, movie theater films that are built this way, you know. $10, 15 So that makes people watch the whole movie. 
It's yeah, different that's than when right. You're There's like a forced, forced incentive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And maybe that's why I was willing to like stop and then you know I was like ah, I gotta finish this movie for the review. So anyway, like I yeah. I, I'm sorry I made you watch. I, should we? No, no. I I enjoyed both. And so because the next, most next episode of what we I, should do some rom coms. Maybe, but like if we get back to like what was. You know why did we, why do we want to review films and like what's interesting about our take on films would be like for me this it's all of the stuff that surrounds the film that's more interesting than the film, um, and that's just and that's true for video art for me too. It's the same thing for sculpture. Yeah. Like it's hard to go see a sculpture and get it. You know any like anything well, about the content of the sculpture. One, you know, there's one only thing so much that's variation, interesting to you know. me is the history of video art. There's a lot of uh, manipulation of the medium directly in a way that an action painter manipulates the canvas. Yeah. So when yeah. you look at it objectively, it's like, what's the most intense emotional expression? It's just scratching on the film and burning it and splashing paint on it. And that would be the most visceral, direct. And somehow that's not how our brain works. Like somehow if you go to Uncut Gems, that's a lot more visceral than looking at Stan Brackage. Well, yeah. Also, like the most annoying thing you would hear when you're a video artist is from from someone who watches your stuff, you know, in particular for me, it would probably be on YouTube or something would be like, well, that was a waste of five <laughs> minutes of my life. And you're like, what? Like, how great are the other yeah. minutes of your yeah. life that and also if you had an uncomfortable experience, is that you really save all the YouTube comments good? Yeah, yeah, I have them. But like, are you at, like, if you look at the like, like life as an accounting spreadsheet, <laughs> like where you spend your time, like generally speaking, I think like that's just a you know that's a bad idea in general. And there's do, probably I, worse I, ways I to spend like your time. I, for a while, I I like big sci-fi movies and Marvel when they were beginning, <laughs> and then after a yeah. while, I'm like, damn it, they got me. They got my money again. They made an awesome. But you know what's interesting about the here? We can watch some hero movies yeah, that are yeah, maybe but, unconventional. But when they, but it became a when genre. When they make an awesome trailer and you're like, "Oh, I want to see this," and then you go see it and it's just so predictable. You know, everything's going to happen in the first five minutes, and you're like, "Fuck, they got my money." Yeah, I mean, and they've been working in that genre since like the 1900s. You know, yeah. so it's not like Superman's like a new concept. <laughs> something like yeah. i don't think they're even pretending that they're like you love these stories i think i i've talked about this in a, a long time ago in a podcast but steve martin used to say people don't come to see me um do like new stand-up they come to celebrate my old stand-up you know when they come see me play and so i think when you're going to those marvel things you're not going to there to get anything any new information in fact the whole premise is to reaffirm the celebration of what we already decided is great. Oh, yes, you got so close to what we already consider great. It's like a gymnastics routine. You nailed the triple-double, right? Yeah. Like, you did it. It's I so mean, rare that we, what, you know, we hit the Marvel marks all at the same time. What do have in common with the, the Mandy and Uncut Gems is that every year they have to crank up the intensity because you're used to the previous one. So, you, well, you know, in Superman, like, like, maybe yeah. he has to save his girlfriend yeah. in the first one. And now the mm -hmm. Marvel movies are at the point where like half of the, the galaxy will disappear. Yeah, or like they'll kill off a character. That's the no, way not they one character. You. They have like seventeen A star actors, <laughs> and they Die. all die. Like it, it, first, it's like <laughs> yeah. oh, I stubbed my toe, and then you go all the way to like okay, the yeah. the entire universe collapsed. <laughs> They're running out of things yeah. to do. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, but I, the last point I want to make, I guess, is that um, that that in cinema, I don't know how this is going to work on this podcast, but like so much of it is genre study. This is what I remember from my film classes anyway, which is like so much of cinema is act, has been postmodern for such a long time that it refers to itself constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, like you mentioned Duchamp, the aesthetic reverberating through the ages. But I think in a popular context, that's what a lot of people get out of rewatching. Oh, they did like a slight twist on this premise that I've seen 10,000 times before. It's like a fine, you know, wine where it's you've, kind got, of the you've seen the same works. thing enough times. I'm thinking yeah. about the nude or the still life or the landscape or the yeah. seascape. These are yeah. genres. Yeah. I was watching this show on Netflix, like a new, like it's Project Runway, but with, you know, guy from Queer from the Straight Guy and stuff. So it's like this reality television show where they do fashion challenges every episode, but each fashion challenge is just a genre challenge. It's like military, punk rock. And you're like, what? That That is like such a postmodern premise that we would like, des- it would be a design challenge to replicate the genre, right? Like, to like to re or remix the genre, right? And, and rather than establish a new genre entirely, and the premise obviously of postmodernism is there can be no new uh, thing; there can only be a recombination, right? And um, so we're looking at like I don't know. It's going to be interesting to do this, this these film reviews because it's just recombinant, uh, you know, kind of um, I don't know dialogue. Like we're yeah, just chatting it, about. How do they in, recom- recombine in stuff? In the case of Mandy, it's, it's very clearly a genre study, and it's even... Uh, his his dad was an action movie director, so he's really yep. just... Uh, it's almost like the, the, well, the like, Bruegels. There's it's like, like a the love elder letter. and the younger, and the, the workshop, and it's the like apprentice, the, and the master. And then the, in the, and the love letter to the genre. And in the thing, case yeah. of Uncut Gems, I think a lot of people compare them to William Friedkin or Robert Altman, and it, there is especially good times this sort of a 70s feeling even though it's very contemporary mm-hmm. but yeah um yeah i don't know it, it, i don't know if you can make leaps in film because it's such a collaborative medium and marshall McLuhan would say it's not possible what? you know because like it's it's already established its norms like marshall McLuhan would say it's not no, a new media but, but it's you an could old, say like oh this know. movie has a new take like like let's say mm-hmm. uh, let's let's think about a movie that doesn't have a new take and wh- what's an example of a movie that didn't make any leaps? Uh, like, I mean, like every movie that would be yeah. But <laughs> but do, do you think that there's a there's a threshold where a movie is surprising or is not? Um, I'm trying to think of the last time I was surprised by a film, but it might be like having watched the Pina Bausch documentary in 3D, yeah. Yeah, like that, which is like not even on, a film. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's a topic for another day. But there's also something day. about being a sushi chef, and you're not trying to. At least me, I like traditional sushi. I don't like sushi with uh, mango and cream cheese. So there's something about mastery and taking little steps. Yeah, that's what, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Is like a lot of this stuff is, you know, mastery of, and sometimes mastery of a pop genre. Same way, like, you know, pop music can I, still be. Yeah. Fresh. I do think that. If we would watch a few more non-Western films, uh, non-European or American. Well, there's like, a lot of the films are based on some basic uh, index films like um, Kurosawa, yeah. you know, would be yeah, one example. Yeah, he was influential like, for Star Wars. Yeah, and also, because, yeah, they established these basic, like, it might be interesting to go back and look at, like, the five most influential, like, films in the first 20 years that kind of established the, the norms basic of stories. the category. Yeah. yeah, the genre of those genres yeah. in general, like so. But I, I do think 
it is interesting. So you could say, oh, punk was just rock and roll played faster, but then you listen to the old rock and roll and it doesn't have that same uh, aggression or craziness. So, Well, that's the worry is like you get into this, like, I don't know, it's going to be like Maroon 5 or something like that. You get to this version of rock and roll <laughs> that it is only exists only in like uh, genre, like premise rather than any authentic uh, or fresh kind of take on on music and in then general. there's, so there's soundcloud a, rep and i guess that's new but nobody likes it that's totally new <laughs> i love it it's great yeah <laughs> uh anyway um do we give a review or is it no, it's just uh, you mean like a, a rating? good is it good or bad yeah it doesn't i well, don't think that I, makes I sense i would like to it? propose that we only review movies that we like i, I don't want to piss on movies no. well yeah okay well i i it's almost impossible for me to hate anything i will find something interesting and everything yeah yeah (laughs) um these poor filmmakers just no i I thought about that because it's this funny thing where making movies is very difficult and then uh, um, out of all the art forms i think it's one where people are really honest about their opinion like often when people see art they're like oh i don't know enough about Uh, to have an Mm. opinion on it but with movies everybody has an opinion and it's just funny to me that it might be a hundred people worked on that movie for five years and didn't see their kids and Mm -hmm. gave up their life and you're like "Eh." (laughs) (laughs) i know i mean i have a sister-in-law who's um does effects for movies like does like uh visual effects and she's part of a team of like a hundred people you know that'll work on the people that buy the mac pro yeah, definitely. Like people who are using Avid Studio or yeah. whatever. And anyway, like yeah, films are still probably remain these the the most iconic kind of cultural anthologies. Or do you think? Yeah, that's time. another discussion whether the 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 idea of a one and a half hour story that has an ending that's valid in the home and if people are not going to the theater anymore. And well, a lot of people say that. Um, TV has replaced, uh, like we're in the golden age of television yeah. and the golden age of cinema. Has I, I passed, like that tagline, like, and then they try to watch stuff on Netflix, and everything is so boring. <laughs> yeah, it's like, ooh, Tiny House it's, is it's, on it's again. It's just funny to me. Like, wow, we're it's in a this golden, golden age. age of spending on, <laughs> on content, and then uh, yeah, I haven't watched it, but the the Apple TV made a show called C. And it's like their Game of Thrones. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's apparently it's horrible. I tried watching with Jason yeah, Momoa. And I think the budget was a hundred million. Yeah. <laughs> that's where like money does not equal yeah greatness. so i don't know if we're in a golden age of tv to be honest well it might be interesting for us to review though some of this digital like direct to streaming content like there are some there have been some some good series like there's the new star trek picard show yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna get take it to extremely nerdy territory yeah. i'll definitely double our listener exactly. count if we go there but uh... no but it's more interesting <laughs> to me Star Trek is a proven franchise before the streaming era, but it's just funny when a company like Apple is mm. like, hey, we need some hooks so people subscribe to our stuff. We don't just want to give power to Amazon. So Yeah, let me tell you about the Jeff Goldblum show on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so bad. Yeah, but we should look up the budgets, but I think C was about $100 million for the first season, so... Think of okay. what you could have well, done with, uh, that here's money, a, with that money. We used to do field recordings in this podcast. By the, you know, and I don't know if we're going to continue doing that. It might be good to play some clips from the film if that's legal or possible. I, I think we can put um, some uh, some Nicolas Cage at the end. 
Okay. Well, one of the other things that we used to do is ask our listeners, um, you know, for things that they would like to hear. And so it could be interesting to ask them for films that they'd like us to review. Um, And we'd be happy to do that. Look, we're just trying this out. If it doesn't work, let us know. Uh, We'll probably still do it. (laughs) (laughs) I I have to say, uh, so far, talking about movies uh, feels better than talking about what's good for the world. You know, it's funny. The conversation wasn't that different. No, No, but there's not that element of Uh, 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 providing solutions. Well, we were talking about something real. Mm. And I think that that is often a way to get around feeling like an imposter mm. <clears throat> is to actually do the yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. So actually touch something. So we did touch the material. We talked about it. Thanks for listening, yeah, everyone. Um, this has been an experiment. Try. Good point. Well, yeah, good point. Unlike the movies is always going to, it's always a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> is it on? Is it off? Does it exist? Yeah. You'll never, yeah, just uh, wait and see. Thank you for listening. (laughs) But thank you so much for listening this far, if you got this far, and um, talk to you again soon. I think we're going to do it again, and maybe it sounds like it was good. Bye-bye. Bye. Killing me won't bring back your goddamn honey! How to get burned? How to get burned? I, how to get burned? How to get burned? I don't know! Kill me! Ah! 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 Ah!